Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvato. And I'm Brian Higgins. And we are the hosts of this show, this great variety show. Brian, how would you even describe this show? What What is this show? It is a running catalog of thoughts we have about Christian life in 2019. Ooh, that, that'd be a great tagline. Or maybe to put. going forward, because otherwise we have to be done at the end of the year. Yeah, that's just a running thought catalog forever of Christian thoughts. A forever thought catalog. Yeah, this is, this is a variety show and we have a lot of different content. Um, we're doing a series on righteousness right now that has conversations between me and Brian, conversations with other pastors. Uh, Brian, you just did an interview recently with, uh, who was it? I did an interview with Patty Height. She's the leader and founder of Out of Egypt Ministries, uh, does a lot of speaking around the country on topics related to the church and the church's response to uh, the LGBT community. Uh, She has a super powerful story and we're going to be sharing that in the next few weeks with you guys right on this podcast. Fantastic. So yeah, this is a show that's a mixed bag and there's so much content that's different. Um, You're not just going to hear from me and Brian. Yes, we, we host this show, but we also have a lot of different guys on the network that we're asking to produce content for this show. So yeah, stay tuned. There's going to be a lot of great stuff. But today, what we're going to be talking about is... What what are we talking about today, Brian? Drop it on us. So today, we're both kind of using our background uh, to our advantage. Both of us are in pretty similar spots. We were both youth pastors for... I was a youth pastor for about seven years. And mm-hmm. Aaron, you were a youth pastor for... I think eight years as a pastor. And then if you count all the years combined with volunteering mixed in, it was like 13 years of youth ministry or something like that. Yeah. If, if you add my volunteer time before I became the main group leader, I'm probably at 10 years, maybe 11, something like that. You, you have a couple more years on me. But mm-hmm. what we're doing today is we're, we're hopping in the time machine and we are speaking to the version of us that was first hired for the youth worker job. Yeah, this episode is titled Things We Wish We Could Tell Our Younger Youth Pastor Selves. Yes, yeah, so this episode is all about if we could go back in time and talk to our former younger selves. Um, Brian, when you first started youth ministry, did you have your red beard? We both are red bearded men um, and uh, we don't have red hair on the top of our head. We have brown hair on the top of our head, but uh, our beards are red. Our beards are when red. When we first started, were you clean shaven? I had to be because Ooh. I before I started the youth ministry job, I worked at uh, a local Perkins in my area. Mm-hmm. And for as gross of a restaurant as it was, they still demanded that everyone who worked there be clean shaven. Wow. So that's ridiculous. I was. And then when I got out of that job, I realized suddenly no one cares about how beardy I am. And... I figured I'd go for it. And you you unleashed your potential. It was a real part of being a youth leader. I, <laughs> I thought I felt like I just looked too young yeah. to be a youth leader. So I you figured need to find grew, a way to distinguish yourself from, you know, the the rabble. Exactly. I figured if I could grow a beard, then the students would look at me and say, like, oh, he's a real adult. So he's an authority figure. That's what I did. That's exactly what happened. I was taller than them and I had a beard. And every time I had to discipline a kid, I used both of those things as reasons I was allowed to do that. And I was they were like, say, Yeah, you, that makes sense. I thought you were gonna say you used your beard in the discipline process somehow. 
<laughs> no, Which, I, I don't know how that would work. I wasn't that creative. <laughs> you just start like rubbing the beard on the kid's face. This is what you get. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you disobey. Oh, man. Um, well, let's get into the content of the episode. So basically, we're, let's just imagine that we get into these time machines. We show up back in. For me, I think it was 2011. And we open up the door and we see our beardless selves. What do we say? We, we, we sit down for coffee or burritos with our young youth pastor selves. What do we tell ourselves about youth ministry? Um, Brian, why don't you go first? What's one of the first things you would tell yourself? And we're doing, we got five things to say, right? Five things. Yeah. So you just go with your first one and we'll just, I'll, you do one, I'll do one. We'll do okay. it that way. Sounds good. Five things that I would say to my just becoming a youth leader self. Yeah. Thing number one, slow yourself down. Hmm. When I first started in youth ministry, I thought just the more that I was at the church, the better, or the more that I was doing or the busier I seemed, um, the better I must be doing at the job. And especially Mm. because when you first get started, you wonder whether or not you're forgetting something for like a solid year. Yeah. Just the whole first year of youth ministry is you feeling like you forgot the thing that's going to lead to the death of the whole youth group. (laughs) <laughs> like I always believed that I had forgotten, um, you know, for, for a retreat or a camp or a trip we were going on or whatever, I always felt like I forgot the permission slips for everybody did not. And just, <laughs> I would always be going over these different things. And because my mind was racing, I felt like I needed to just be really active. Uh, if I'm just doing stuff, then hmm. it means I'm accomplishing these other things. And because of that, in the first year particular, but it, it even continued a bit past that. I was so worried about doing things. I wasn't, I wasn't worried enough about doing things that really made a difference and things that really mattered. Do, do you feel like any part of that too was trying to like prove your worth to the rest of the church staff and to oh, the yeah. parents and like, okay, yeah, because yeah, that's yeah. where I was for sure. Yeah, especially because the, the youth leader that I followed, mm-hmm. um, well, I, I followed the guy who followed this main guy, if that makes sense two junior high leaders before me was like this legendary figure in our church. Hmm. Um, and then the guy that I directly followed has, has become that like he's, he's amazing at what he's doing, but he was only in that role that I took for a little over a year. Right. Um, so I really felt like I was following two leaders before me. Yeah. And I was like, I, I need to be as good as this guy. I need to prove that I can do this at that level. And I was just so scared of not being able to do it that I figured I'll just fill my whole calendar with youth stuff. It's almost like you're looking at their decade of experience and you're like, I have to cram so much into my first year that people will look at me with that same, you know, gravitas or whatever. Exactly. And yeah, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. I have more on that idea a little bit later but the the Mm. big thing i would say in this first thing is slow yourself down take a breath you don't need to be active a hundred percent of the time you need to do the things that are effective and you Mm. need to do the things that are helping students and leaders yeah and you you are going to be prone to fill your time with stuff that isn't really helpful just because you're afraid yeah i i can share an example on that uh for me when i first started my background was web design and graphics. And so my thought was like, what does the youth group need? A killer website. Mm-hmm. And I spent 
hours and hours and hours designing this amazingly intricate WordPress website for these kids. And it had like, it was like the hub, you know, it had like all of my teachings and it had like, you know, photos from different events and it had like, you know, devotionals, just all this stuff. And I just remember being at a student leadership meeting with these middle school kids at my house and we were going through the notes and I was like, okay, so what can we do to make the website better? And the kids were just like, we have a website. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember you talking about that one time. Yeah, I never go on it. And I was like, what? And they're just like, yeah, we don't really care about websites. We just, we'd, we'd love it if you just spent time with us. One kid actually said that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, Ooh. what have I been doing? I've been yeah. in my office building this website. Nobody cares about. And it was because I was so driven to be awesome. And really the most awesome thing would have been just to slow down and spend time with the kids. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So what's yours? First thing. Number one, number one for me is success is not about numerical growth. It's about spiritual growth. So for Mm -hmm. me, I had a long history in our church. We had a long history in our church of really big numbers in the youth group. And when my dad was the youth pastor and when Jason Duff was the youth pastor, you know, I would just hear stories about how the group had a hundred kids, 150 kids. And my group consistently always stayed at like 20 kids to 40 kids. It would never really grow beyond that. And that just troubled me so much at the early stages because I was comparing myself to others. And I was like, man, like I really want this to grow. And, you know, I would do events, you know, I, we did this event called the hunger games where we, it was this crazy nerf battle at the church and, you know, kids are not literally murdering one another, but murdering one another with nerf weapons. They're metaphorically murdering each other. Metaphorical murders are the best kind. And so, yeah, just epic event. Tons of kids would come. Kids I'd never seen before. Kids, you know, from other youth groups, kids from other kids that weren't in church, kids that were unchurched, kids from schools. Like people would come because they were inviting their friends. And then after the event, no one would ever come back. And I'd still be there with the same group of kids because you know, like unchurched kids and and kids from the outside, they're interested in the fun stuff. But when it comes to just like the weekly Bible study and hangout time, it was really just these kids that God gave me. And it took me a long time to get it, but I feel like towards the end of middle school and the beginning of high school ministry for me, God really gave me this word of growth is important, but you're looking at growth from like an American corporate capitalist mentality, which is like, if you do all the right things and you plug in all the formulas, then the numbers will grow. That's just how it works. And God was trying to speak to me and he's like, you know what? I want growth, but I want spiritual growth. I've given you these 20 kids, stop ignoring them. Stop focusing so much on the big visions of what you want to do and just love these kids. Just spend time with them. Just go and disciple them, raise up other people to disciple them. Because at the end of the day, if I've given you 20 kids and you're chasing after 200 and you don't focus on the 20 kids, it's like that whole passage about being faithful with what you've been given and then you're given more. You know, God didn't ever give me 200 kids, but he did teach me to be faithful. And to me, that was so important. Like the spiritual growth of those kids became my passion. And I look back on that and I I wouldn't do it any other way because what's most important in in my life has been my spiritual growth. It's been people stepping up to show me how to follow Jesus. And honestly, me and my brother-in-law, Scott, were talking about this the other day. We, he was kind of my right-hand man for the entire time we did youth ministry. And we were just like, yeah, if we had like 200 kids in our youth group, we would not know even what to do with that. Like (laughs) we, we would have been the worst at discipling those kids because we would have been so busy running this big event and not actually pouring personally in 
to the kids. So yeah, that's number yeah. one for me. I, I think the, the reason it's so easy to go there is because measuring number growth is so much easier than yeah, measuring totally. spiritual growth. You're like, oh, 200 people came. Yeah, it's there. because you're doing yeah. spiritual things, you think, oh, we had 200 spiritual people with us. And it's like, well, maybe not. Like maybe you just yeah. entertained a bunch of people for a little bit. Yeah, it can become a concert. And I knew kids in my youth group who would occasionally go to um, groups in the area, youth groups that were much less Bible teaching based and much more like big music and band and concert and less Bible teaching and more just, you know, motivational speaking. Mm -hmm. And um, they would tell me like, you know what, like that group is more fun than your group. But when I'm there, I don't really feel like I'm growing. I just feel like I'm a part of this Mm. experience, which is great. But, you know, yeah, your group might be a little bit more boring, you know, and I'll admit that I was not the coolest youth pastor. You know, I was, I was never a hype man. I was more just like, hey, let's play card games and like talk about Jesus and hang out and eat pizza. Like that was, that was just, that was how I did youth group. Um, But it was through those discipleship moments and especially through small groups. That was a huge part of our ministry with the youth group, Hope Sanker at Vista was I would teach. And then immediately after the teaching, we would break the groups into smaller groups with their leaders. And that's where true discipleship would happen. It wasn't Mm -hmm. about even my preaching. It was about basically the preaching was me setting up the stage for then these discipleship discussions to happen in small groups. And yeah, spiritual growth. There's nothing more important, I think. Totally agreed. So what's number two for you? My second thing goes really well with what you were just talking about at the end of setting up your leaders. Uh, Second thing I would tell myself is your leaders are there to help you. Hmm. So let them do that. Like ask them to help. You're not, I I would think a couple different things. Um, When I first started, I looked at ministry a little bit too much like a competition. So Hmm. I thought if the kids loved my leaders, that meant they didn't love me. Oh, wow. Which was stupid and just came from insecurity and came from fear and came from not really knowing what I was doing and what I was trying to accomplish. I was looking Mm. at ministry too much through the lens of what am I doing instead of what are these students gaining? Yeah. So I would look at things and say, I want all the good ministry to come from me. But then I would play hero ball for a little bit. And then get upset with my leaders and be like, why aren't they doing anything? It's like, well, because I'm not asking them to like your leader. Some of your leaders are going to be amazing self-starters and they're going to have ideas that you should just listen to and get behind. That's only going to be some of them. Most of your leaders, because they respect you and because they don't want to step over your head, they're going to wait for you to ask them to do things. So Mm. ask them to do stuff. They want to help sometimes more than you're asking them to. Mm. So don't be afraid of reaching out to your leaders, of really spending time and hanging out with them, of asking them what makes them tick, Mm. uh, because they're going to have passions that are just different than yours, and they may be better suited for the youth group. So Mm. as just a quick example, as we got towards the last couple years of my time leading the youth group, Um, one of the things I really wanted to do was start a guy's discipleship group. Um, Mm. and we started meeting on Mondays. So we called it mighty man Monday. (laughs) And it was just once a month, we were going to meet up on a Monday. We were going to go to a wing place and we were going to hang out and talk. That was my version of the idea. And I was like, this is cool. Then I would do it. And a couple leaders would come and a couple students would come and we'd have some good talks and it was fun. 
And then one of the newer leaders at that point, he looked at me and was like, Brian, I think this can be way more than it is. Hmm. What if we started doing it at my house? What if I led a short Bible study? What if Hmm. we did all these different things? And I was at first I was like, but this is my thing. And I was like, no, this is working. Yeah. It seemed like it was working. And I was like, this is stupid. Like I don't, (laughs) I don't need to fight against this guy. He's on my team and he's excited about something. I'm going to let him run with this. Yeah. And the group started meeting at his house. He started doing like themed food nights. Like we would do like taco nights and he would like order pizza for the whole group. Like he would do all these really cool things. And the group shot up from like three leaders and three kids showing up to like five leaders and 20 kids showing up. Hmm. And the conversation (laughs) was better. And just everything about the group was working so much better. And we even got to the point where I stopped going to them because we wanted to show the kids ministry doesn't just happen through Brian. It happens through all the leaders. So I stopped showing up and more kids got more effectively discipled because I said, you know what? My leaders aren't competing with me. Their success is my success and my Mm. success is their success. So Mm. we're all in this together. We're all on the same team. I'm going to focus on my parts and Mm. I'm going to really help these leaders do the things that they have on their heart. Don't fight your leaders. Let them be as great as they can possibly be. That's so killer, man. I love that. That's awesome. I, I definitely resonate with like that insecurity. My first year of being the youth pastor, it was very interesting because I started a few months in and then very strangely, I, I met a guy at our private Christian school named Paul Prelly, um, amazing guy. And he was an English teacher at the time, but I found out that like, you know, he was 10 years older than me. And I found out that he used to be a youth pastor and I'm just dumb and, uh, naive, you know, and I, I go to my church leadership and I say, we have a guy here who's a youth pastor. We should hire him to be the other youth pastor and we could have two youth pastors. And they were like, that sounds great. And then they hired him. And basically like my salary got divided in half, uh, Mm. between, Right. Which at the time I didn't need much, so it was fine. But all this like insecurity started cropping up because he was so obviously better than me at so many things. And he had been doing it for so much longer. And there was kids that I was trying to get close with and he would just get close with them effortlessly. And I would be sitting there like, oh man, like I want that relationship. Like, how did he get that? Mm -hmm. Like, that should have been my relationship with that kid. And it was a, it, it only lasted for a year and it was a great year, honestly, because for me going from kind of just volunteering into pastoral ministry, having him there as a guide and a mentor was amazing, but it did show me some insecurity blind spots that I had. And so over the years, like, yeah, I had the same attitude as you develop where I went from kind of being jealous of the leaders uh, who are cooler than me to just God kind of showed me how lame I actually am. And um, whenever he would bring in a young, you know, I'm in my late twenties now and he would bring in a young, cool 18 year old volunteer or 19, 20 year old volunteer who was way hipper than me. And he knew way more slang than me. And he was listening to all the same music the kids were, and he could connect with them on a level that I couldn't. It was like, God let those walls down. And I just realized I should be propping these guys up and I should be basically running the youth group, not where it's focused on me 
but where I'm raising up other people to the point where if I get hit by a truck, the group can just keep going. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, oh, the youth pastor died. So it all just falls apart. I think we should constantly be duplicating ourselves and and raising up other people and putting them in places where they can run with things and run with their ideas and visions. So yeah, I agree 100%, bro. Going into youth ministry, you're either going to think that you're going to do it forever or... Mm -hmm. If you don't think that you're going to hear about, oh, youth leaders before me have done like seven years, eight years, that is forever. And it's totally not. Your run is so much shorter than you think it's going to be. You need, even if it's a longer number of years, it's going to feel quicker than you think it's going to feel. You don't have time to waste getting more leaders into the game. Mm. It's awesome. It's so true, man. So true. So your second point. So my second point, is going to be that you can't save everyone. So when I was doing youth ministry, I developed what I have called Batman syndrome. And uh, the way I, the way I describe it is like, you know, I think of, I was reading a comic one time and basically Batman is perched over the alleyways of Gotham city. And he's looking out and he's like, no matter how many crimes I stop, there will always be more crimes. And he's just like tormented by this. That's how I felt all the time. I was like, no matter how many kids I disciple, no matter how many kids I try to help, no matter how much advice I give, there's still going to be kids making mistakes, falling into sins, backsliding, just doing all of these things. Like I I felt like these were the way I felt of the youth group throughout my entire run was, you know, these are my brothers and sisters. Like this is my family. And the way that I'm wired, my personality is like, I'm a problem solver. I'm a fixer. And I like to help people. Like I met my I'm at my highest just peak of joy when I give someone advice and they actually listen to it and it works. And I'm just like, yes, like this is what God's called me to do to help people in this way. And so uh, I wanted to do that for everybody. Like I wanted to help every single kid. I wanted to save every single person. And God just brought me on this journey where I realized like I went from kind of this hero mentality at the beginning where I was like, you know, I'm the guy who's going to come in and help these kids with all their problems and give them all the best advice and change their lives. And, and God just showed me through some really brutal, brutal experiences where the kids that I thought I'd invested in the most. And so therefore they should be the best kids. They end up just going off the deep end and falling into the gnarliest sin. And it totally broke down my idea of myself and my abilities to save. And it brought me to a place where I was like, at this point, I can literally do nothing. Like I've tried to help this kid. I've tried to give them advice. They're just literally telling me, yeah, Pastor Aaron, like I know what you're saying, but I literally just want to do whatever the heck I want to do. And I don't even know if I believe in Jesus anymore. Like those were some like really dark moments for Mm -hmm. me, but it broke me down and made me realize that it's not about me and I can't save everybody. And now all I can do is what I should have been doing for this kid all along, which is praying for them. Like, and it's been so cool to see some of those kids come back, like God doing radical things in their life where I can take no credit for it. Like it wasn't like, yeah, they were on off the deep end. And then I stepped in with the perfect advice Mm -hmm. and now they're like, that's the old lie that I believed that it was up to me to save people. But now I realize that all I can do is my absolute best, but then I have to let go and trust that God is the one who saves. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. God is the one who rescues people. And I just play a small part in the process. Like I just, I just have to be obedient. And when God tells me to speak to a kid, when God tells me to counsel a kid, when God tells me to reach out to a kid, I do that. But I understand that like, I'm not 
the person building their spiritual life. I'm just a hammer. I'm just a screwdriver. God's the one who's building. Mm -hmm. I can't save anybody. He's the one who saves. And finally realizing that, I feel like I realized that way too late in the game. But when I finally realized it and let go of that pressure and that burden to just rescue everybody, it, it changed even my preaching because my preaching was so much less focused on like, hey, like I am going to tell you like, here's the five things in your life you should be doing to make your life better. And it was so much more focused on Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. And I feel like when people are pointed to Jesus, then it opens up that door for them to be rescued by him. So it's not like they're rescued by my logic or my great sermon prep or my great advice. I just want to point them to Jesus who actually is the one who can rescue them. It's so true. And and I think if you just to back up that experience, if you ask any youth leader who's done it for five years or more, they've got names they carry with them. They've got yeah. students they still think about. They've got people that um, they and it, it's this weird thing where sometimes it is the people you invest in the most that seem to be the most willing to, to pack it in and walk away from it. And yeah, and yeah, it's so hard. I'm in that same camp with you there. There are still students. There are names that come to mind where it's like, all I can do is pray for them. I'm, I'm not sure they'd respond to a text. I'm not sure they want me to reach out to them and, you know, getting yourself out of the, this means that I have failed mentality yeah. because it doesn't mean that people have the freedom to choose people have the freedom to make their own decisions. And you were never asked to be the savior. You were only asked to be the one that pointed people to the savior. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important to realize we, it's not our job to save anybody. We just point people to the savior and um, yeah, it's, it's hard. And I would say to you and to any other youth pastors listening, like it doesn't mean that you sit back and do nothing. Like just the other week, there was a kid that I was really for like the last year I had no contact with really. And I was struggling with like, should I reach out to them? Should I reach out? And I just gave it to God. And finally he kind of gave me the sense of like, Hey, you should text them. And that's not you like overstepping and feeling like you need to save. I'm just telling you I'm doing something and I want you to be a part of it. And I, I ended up texting them and their response was just like, Oh my gosh, like to know that somebody cares about me and is still thinking about me like, wow, God is really using this. And that just blew my, my mind. Cause mm -hmm. in my mind, I thought, you know, I'd been texting this person for a long time and they had just ignored my text for the most part, but it was the Holy spirit that moved in that moment and that made the difference. And so, yeah, don't give up the keep praying, mm -hmm. keep praying. Absolutely. And when God moves you to step in, in a pastoral big brother way, do it. And then just, just trust that he's going to work with it. Even if you don't get the response, I would say. So what's the next one for you? So point number three for me, is teaching and hanging out with students need to be your top priorities. Hmm. Um, I always looked at the actual youth group meeting and thought, well, this is just the standard stuff. This is what we do no matter what. What will really kind of like what you were saying, what will really draw these kids in, what will really make the difference is fun events, which by the way, that Hunger Games event sounds amazing. Um, it was the best thing we ever did. But you get focused on the more our group does things like that, the better and more productive our group is. And hmm. all that stuff is fun. All that's great. I'm not saying don't do that stuff. Have fun, wacky, creative ideas. But if you have to give up anything, the two things you cannot give up are the priority of your teaching ministry and the priority of hanging out with students. You, you, if you give those things up, 
your youth group is about to become entertainment. It's about to become something that doesn't really meet the needs of those kids. They need someone who's going to help them understand the Bible. Someone who's going to help them understand what it means to love and follow Jesus. And they are not going to get that only from you doing fun pizza based events, which I did. (laughs) I did pizza based events all the time. They were super fun. Um, but there needs to be more than that. And and even one of the things I started realizing and seeing uh, towards the end of my time in youth ministry was just the idea that um, events don't need to be about being wacky and crazy and matching up with what they can see in other groups. Sometimes the event that's just quietly hanging out makes all the difference. So Hmm. Don't let other stuff get in the way. Don't let your teaching and your hanging out with students slip because they need to be your top priorities in youth ministry. That's that's so good. It's so true, man. It's interesting because when I first, I think we talked about this on another podcast, but when I first started, um, my preaching in middle school ministry was, I would say, underdeveloped. It was mostly stand-up comedy and God used it for sure. but. I remember, so we had a private Christian school and um, I, my office was located right on that campus. And so every single day I had students in my office hanging out with me. I actually set up my office specifically as a hangout space where my desk faced the door and I could literally just from my desk see everybody. I had couches on every wall and chairs and just, it was a total hangout spot for the kids. But I was spending so much time there. Um trying to be there to hang out with the kids that I I lost the other side of the coin. I neglected my teaching ministry mm-hmm. and I neglected giving the kids my best because I was so focused on just like being there to just try to be whatever they needed me to be. And I remember um, a mentor of mine basically was like, you should probably get away from the office like once a week and actually like prep some really solid messages. And that was a game changer for me. And it was hard to, to kind of step back, like you're saying from something I love so much, but mm-hmm. I, I did, I committed in, instead, cause I was doing all my sermon prep on Saturdays, which was not really fair to my wife. I should have been spending time with her, you know, early on in my ministry, but I was so just in my mind, I was like the most dedicated youth pastor I could be. Mm-hmm. I started taking Thursdays and left the office and it was, it was hard for me. Cause I was thinking like, what if the little middle school kids like forgot their lunch and I'm not, I'm not there to make them quesadillas, which <laughs> I would literally do things like that. I was just trying to be the best youth pastor of all time. And when I finally stepped away and started really putting effort into my prep, it was life-changing for me. And I feel like it was such more of a blessing to the students because they were still getting hangout time with me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday and Sunday. But taking that Thursday off to dedicate it to teaching, to me, uh, I mean, I would not trade that for anything because I think that the word of God is what's going to change the kids' lives. And me hanging out with them is just a part of that. But I think the word is so important. You can go on the other flip side of that and be the youth pastor, though, that never hangs out with the kids and you're just locked in your office all week trying to prep, you know, the next Charles Mm -hmm. Spurgeon style message. It needs to be both of these things. Yeah, totally. Cool. Okay, this third one is one of my favorites. And... It is one that I picked up in an old book written in the 1800s by one of the first youth pastors of all time. I cannot remember the Whoa, guy's name. Throwback I think it's point. Amos Wells, and uh, I think is his name. 
He wrote a book called The Young People's Pastor. If you're starting out in youth ministry, I would really encourage you to get this book. It's written in like old timey English, but it's so, so good. Um, so basically the idea of number three for me is deposit affirmation before you withdraw critique. So like, let me break down what that means. As a youth pastor, your goal is to shepherd and guide these kids. And if you're doing youth ministry, it's if you're surrounded by youth, you're going to be exposed to their sin. You're going to see it constantly with the way they treat one another, with the way they behave, with the way they treat their parents. Like, I mean, did you see a lot of kids misbehaving when oh, you were doing youth ministry? Yeah, all the time. All the time. Okay. Yeah. So it's not just me. So yeah, if you're listening to this, you probably deal with this too. So it can be very natural for us to want to point that stuff out and correct it. Like you see a wrong, you see a kid sinning and you want to step up and say, Hey buddy, let me tell you why that's not right. So what the, the thing that this book got at, which was so good was basically if all that kid sees you as is an authority figure, they're not going to really respond to you because they have plenty of that. They've got teachers at school that you know, in a lot of cases don't really care that much. They've got, you know, coaches where the end game is, you know, just to win the game. And so they're constantly getting critiques. Some kids even, you know, have parents where maybe there's not really a lot of love or affirmation in the home. And it's just a constant, like, you know, here's what you should be doing and you're not doing it. And, you know, a lot of kids have loving parents, but a lot of kids struggle with, you know, feeling that love in the home. So basically he's saying, if you are just another authority figure, your words are just going to fall flat. If you really want to make a difference in a kid's life, deposit affirmation into them. Specifically look for the things in that kid that stand out as great, like the potential you see in them. Like, oh my gosh, when you, when you said that prayer, Johnny, like that was so like, oh, I could just sense your connection with God or you know, you, you get a kid to share during small group time and then coming up to them afterwards and saying, wow, what you shared, like, I really feel like you have just a gift of encouragement, like things like that. When you're depositing those things in kids, it's not just empty praise. It's not just like, Hey buddy, you're the best. You're the greatest. I love you. It's like specifically being intentional and seeking out what are the things that God is doing in this kid's life that are positive. When you deposit those things into the kid, what it's going to do is it's going to build this trust in them where they're going to look at you and say, this is an adult who cares about me. This is an adult who actually loves me. This is an adult who wants what's best for me. And then when the time comes that you need to do some constructive criticism, some critique, some outright like rebuke of sin, because you've already deposited all of that love into the kid, when you are then the one who has to get up and say, hey, I see the sin issue in you. And I just, because I love you, I want to call, I want to call this out. They're going to respond to it so much more positively because you've built up so much love and trust with them. And I've experienced this seriously, because there was kids where there were students where because I'd spent so much time with them and loved on them and really pointed out the things in a discipleship way that I really saw God doing in their life. When I would sit down with them and say, Hey dude, like what's going on with you and your girlfriend, you need to put the brakes on that. And here's why those are the people that were like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much, dude. Like, I know you love me. This is hard to hear, but like, thank you. I need this. When there was times where I'd go to a kid who I really didn't have that relationship with and I hadn't really deposited anything into them. And I was just like, Hey, you did this thing. You need to stop. Those were oftentimes the kids who would just straight up leave the youth group who would just be like, what the heck? Like, you can't mm -hmm. tell me what to do. And that's, that's on them in the sense that, you know, as Christians, we all need to be open to rebuke and correction. Like if, if we just are like, I'm just going to live my life and do whatever I want, you know, forget you, who cares? It's still on them. 
But a part of it, I think, is on us as youth pastors, because if we're not taking the time to let these kids know that we love them, they're not going to care about what we have to say. I've found that a good general metric for that is if that student came up to you and told you that your sermon was long and boring, (laughs) would you look at them and think, eh, you don't really know what you're talking about? Or that's probably what a lot of other kids felt too, if you're telling me this. If you look at the kid and you say, "Eh, I don't really know if I could trust your opinion, they probably feel the same about you. (laughs) And they probably feel like if you went to them and said, hey, here's the sin in your life that I need to point out, they're probably going to be like, "Eh, I don't really, you're just the guy that talks. You're not, we don't have a thing yet. And totally agreed. If you don't have a real relationship built, it's not even that, you know, they should just be more willing to hear from you. You should be more willing to hear from them and you should be more willing to ask the questions of what's going on. Uh, because without that, like you're saying, you know, no one, no one likes to be rebuked regardless of how much you love the person. So mm. you want to remove every potential distraction from them hearing the thing that you're warning them about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I think a way to accomplish this for those of you guys listening who are new at this, I would say, pursue small groups and raising up small group leaders because you can't pastor everybody effectively. Like you're just not going to be able to be the perfect pastor for everybody. Jesus had his crowds, but he also had his 12, like his, his core group, his small group. And I think that even if your group is only 10 people, split that 10 people up into two small groups, you know, and have different mm-hmm. leaders because There was kids where at times where I would realize like, okay, I see something in this kid. I don't really have the relationship with them where I feel comfortable to necessarily call this out and have it go well. So, you know what? I'm going to go to their leader and I'm just going to say, hey, you know, yeah, I'm the pastor, but you're also called to shepherd this kid. Here's some stuff that we see right now going on with this kid. I really want to encourage you on my behalf to address this with them and let's see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, that was way more effective you know, especially, you know, if we're dealing with girls and, you know, some of those issues, like it's so much better for their female leader to sit down with them and have those heart to heart talks than, than me necessarily. Um, yeah. And even, what do you think? Even there have been times I can think of where I went to their small group leader and didn't just say, here's a thing we need to address it, but said, here's something I noticed. Do you see it too? Oh yeah. That's, that's killer. And sometimes I've learned the details that I was missing. And I was like, Oh, I wasn't giving that kid the benefit of the doubt. I, I need to right. back off on this. Um, oh, and man. sometimes <laughs> that's so good. I've been able to have them affirm or I've been able to affirm for them and have them say, yeah, I have seen it. I wasn't really sure what to do about it, but you talking to me about it, I need to go talk to that kid. And then they're going yeah. at it because they've seen it in operation on a very different level than you. Hmm. That's so, so good. Well, let's move on to number four. What's number four for you, Brian? Number four for me. Um, I would tell myself back when I started to stop comparing where I am right now with where other more experienced pastors are right now. That was going to be that was going to be my number four. Now I have to come up with a new number (sighs) four. No, let's just both use it. It must be that good. Let's. This is going to be our combined number four. We're already at like forty-five minutes of this, so this will shorten the episode. Okay. Our, our number four. Our combined Let's, number four. Here's, here's what I mean by that. When I joined the staff of the church that I was at, 
um, the big thing I was comparing was my teaching ability. And so I would listen to teachers who had been sharing God's word for 15, 20 years, and they'd be amazing at it. They would just be totally crushing that. And then I would show up with my six months of experience and I would teach something and I'd compare it to them and be like, oh man, they're so much better than me at it. And it's like, well, of course they are. They've been doing it for so much longer. So it's not that I needed to look at things and say, um, what do I do to be as good as those other people? Instead, I need to look at and say, am I at a good spot for where I'm at? Hmm. Is that kind of what you were going to say on this too? Yeah, similar things to that. Because I, I, like, I feel like when I first started out, I had a good sense of like identity. It wasn't so much comparing myself to the people that came before me because I kind of was an individualist. So I wasn't necessarily like, I need to copy their methods. Like I kind of was like, oh, I want to do my own thing. But as I began to progress into ministry, the comparison started to come with looking at other guys who were my peers mm. who appeared to be doing much better than me. Um, like guys who started at the same time as me and their youth groups were much bigger. Um, and even just little things like I remember there was one guy who he was, I think he was even, he might've been younger than me, but he just, he, he had this feature in his uh, social media presence where you know, his youth group had a very killer photographer who was constantly taking like really good pictures of like everything that was happening, you mm -hmm. know, the preaching on the stage, the kids worshiping. And so there was this constant like just social media presence of like, look how great everything is, which is fine. Like a lot of churches do that. He didn't do anything wrong. That's great. But I was like struggling to like get, you know, volunteers to snap a simple picture on their iPhone, you know? And so the social media presence I had like, seemed a lot lamer if you would compare the two groups. You know, if you're trying to decide mm -hmm. which group you're going to go to, you obviously go to his if you're just looking at the outside appearance. Yeah. And so things like that, comparison-wise, it was a struggle. And just seeing other guys, like, do well and just rise up in youth ministry, I struggled with that because I've always been an insecure person. Like, this goes all the way back to, like, middle school and high school for me. I was always comparing myself to people I found to be better-looking, uh, more athletic, more outgoing, more charming. And it was never like an anger towards them. Like, oh, how dare they? It was more just like this frustration where I was like, I can never be that. Like I, no matter how hard I try, I can never be as attractive as that guy. I can never be as good looking as that guy. And that's kind of with me and youth ministry, what it turned into was I was like, man, I'll never be able to draw out crowds like that guy. I'll never be able to preach like that guy. I'll never be able to, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And for me, God just really had to show me that I wasn't called to be anyone else. I was called to be me. Like he specifically had gifted me and brought me up for the person I was supposed to be for the kids that he had put me with. Like there was no mistake in that. That was his plan and his orchestration, but it took me a while to get that. And I still struggle with it to this day. I still compare and I hate that I do it. I want to be the kind of person that just rejoices for people when their things are going well for them. When, when my ministry has five people coming to it and theirs has 50. Like I want to be able to say not like, oh man, that sucks for me. How can I get 50 like them? I want to just be like, you know what? That's so rad. I love that. Mm -hmm. Good on Praise you guys. The Lord. You're doing it. Yeah. Just, yeah, that's, and I, I drift back and forth between kind of that healthy and unhealthy state where one day I'm where I want to be with that. And then other days I'm just bummed out when no one shows up to my thing. But, um, 
yeah, it, to me, it goes into the mentality of like, he must increase, we must decrease. And we're all just pieces of the puzzle, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to remember that sometimes. Yeah. It's also true when it comes to comparison to think of ourselves right now as all that we will ever be. Whereas Mm -hmm. when I compare myself in the last year of leading the youth ministry, I led to the first year, Hmm. totally different people just completely different yeah. leadership oh styles. Gosh. So much Same. growth occurred. Um, <laughs> and I need to project that forward as well. When I think mm. about who I'm going to be in seven years, hopefully I'm looking at this version of me and I'm like, Oh, he had so much to learn. Like he had grown a lot, but he had so much to learn. Like, right. We're going to keep doing that. So don't look at where you are right now and say, this is all that I will ever be. Mm. The people that you're looking ahead to and saying, Oh, I hope to become like that they had people they were doing that with as well. Like there's so much more time for you to grow than you think you have. Really, we shouldn't be trying to become like anyone else. We should just be trying to become like the best version of ourselves Mm -hmm. that God has intended for us to be. Because I look back on my time and I can't really compare it to anybody else, but I can say, man, God had me on a journey. And yeah, if I could sit down with myself at 21 years old and say anything, it'd be like, hey, buddy, like don't give up. It's going to be okay. Like you're you don't try to be anyone else. Just be you and just try to grow because as you grow, you're going to become the you that God is intending for you to be for these kids. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to be anyone else, it's not going to work. You're never going to be that guy. Like you can get his haircut. You can dress like him. You can try to speak like him, but he's him and God's created him specifically the way that he has. And you know what? There's people that you can reach that he probably can't, but you don't get that because you're trying to reach the people that he's reaching. Mm-hmm. Reach the people that God has put in front of you. Those those are your people. And whether it's five or 50 or 100 or whatever, man, I just remember there's this guy, uh, I'm going to give him a great shout out, but Tom Bateman, um, youth worker, Calvary Chapel, Napomo. Um, I remember, man, that guy was so cool. He was a Bible college roommate of mine. And I remember visiting Napomo and going to his youth group. And he was in this small trailer in this tiny town with three kids. But he preached to those kids like it was a room full of 100. Mm. And I was just like, that is what I want to be like. Somebody who, if I write a sermon and in my mind, I'm thinking this is, you know, in my mind, I'm like a room full of 30. And then I show up and there's five kids that Sunday. Am I going to just not give my all yeah, and preach will I my fall all flat because of that. Right. Because I was expect like, you know, when you're, when you start building into your sermon, like those crowd reactions, you think you're going to get, you're, you're slipping away. We need to just focus on who has God given me in general. And then on any given day, whether it's a Sunday or a Wednesday or a Friday night event or a camp or whatever, like who's here, who are the people that I have at this moment? How can I love them the way God's called me to? Totally agreed. Such good stuff. You too, man. So should we do number five? Let's do it. Who should go first? I'm going to let you go first on this one. Okay. So number five for me is a really important one. Young guys starting out in ministry, this is what I would say to you. This is what I would say to myself. Your wife is your first ministry if you're married. If you have a family, if you have kids, like they're your first ministry. It's okay to step back and trust God to do what you can't. So for me, this came into play probably my second year of high school ministry after I'd done middle school, I'd gotten to the point where I was doing a lot. I was preaching almost every Sunday, almost every Wednesday. I was on the regular basis taking 
kids evangelism, street witnessing, like on the weekends, on Saturdays. And during the summer, I would plan weeks where we literally had like four things going on, like beyond just the Sunday and Wednesday. It was like, we're spending all Tuesday together at the beach and then we're going to go witnessing and then we're going, like, it was just all of these things. And it got to the point where my wife sat me down and she was like, I feel like we have no time together and this is really hard. And she was actually my assistant at the time. So we were both just like our whole lives, everything we were giving to youth ministry. And my wife was just like, I need you to step back from something because this is really hard for our relationship. And I'm just telling you what I need. I need more time with you. That's her love language. It's time. It's quality time. And there was this part of me that was like, it brought me back to that same place when God kind of told me when I was doing middle school ministry to stop hanging out at the office every single day and to kind of take a step back and focus on something else. It was that same thing. God was like, you need to focus on your wife right now. And I just was thinking like, but if I don't do this, this, and this, then how are the kids going to grow? Like how, how, like all this vision of what I want to happen in the youth ministry, how is that going to happen if I don't do all the things I feel like I'm supposed to do? And God just really convicted me. It was like, that's stupid. You think it's up to you. You, again, you think it's your job to save everybody. And you think that if you don't do these things that you, you're passionate about, then the ministry is not going to happen. And God just basically was like, step back from something and watch what I do. And it was incredible because taking a step back from things. And there was, there was a lot of things on my plate and I started just putting things off my plate. I started delegating more to my volunteers and raising them up to do some of the things that I was passionate about without me having to be the one to do it. And there was a part of me that was like, I'm not going to be effective if I step back from these things. But God just convicted me and was like, spend that time with your wife, still love on the kids, give them your best, but you're overdoing it. Step back. And I remember at my going away party, when all the kids were there from the youth group, this is last year before I moved to Oklahoma. There was so many kids where like, in my mind, I was like, I don't even feel like I made an impact on that kid. But they would come up to me and be like, you were one of the most influential people in my spiritual life. Thank you so much for everything that you did. And for me, like that was just such a blessing because I thought that if I didn't do every single, if I didn't fill every single minute with like ministry stuff, then it wouldn't work. But God just proved to me in that moment, it was never about me. Like there was kids where I literally felt like I did nothing for them. And God did so much through, through just me being available. And so that's what I would say to you is like, your legacy is about your faithfulness. And that means your faithfulness to Jesus. But it also means your faithfulness to your wife and your family and your own spiritual growth. And if you're neglecting those things because you're chasing after this idea of what ministry looks like and cramming every single second of the week with ministry things, in the end, a lot of that is just going to be empty stuff. The stuff that's going to stick with the kids is them seeing your faithfulness to the things that God has called you to. And if you're married, that marriage is absolutely at the top of the list of one of the things that God's called you to. And so stepping back, putting that first, what you're really doing is you're, you're putting God first and you're putting the kids first by honoring that thing that God's given you to take care of, which is your marriage. And yeah, I have no regrets. I don't look back and think, oh, if I just would have done one more Saturday all day event, then that really would have changed the kids' lives. I, I realize there's so much I put time into that was misguided. And uh, yeah, I would definitely tell myself to chill out a little bit more and trust God to take care of the kids. That makes total sense. My fifth thing actually ties into that story of that student coming up to you mm. and telling you, you were such a big influence on me. My fifth thing is there's way more fruit than you can see. Amen. 
your ministry is doing way more than you will be aware of. So today, the day that we're recording this, I don't know when we're posting this. So whenever that is, but the day that we're recording this, I got a, a message on Instagram from a former student who heard through the grapevine of, Hey, heard that you, you know, you stepped out of that church. You're getting ready to move to Oregon. And I just want to let you know, you were such a huge influence on me. And I am so thankful for your teaching. And I'm so thankful for all the different things that um, you did for me. And like, this is a student. Totally remember this student. Um, we didn't hang out a ton. We, I, I hung out with him a few times. He, he would come out to events. And um, we had really good conversations. Like, I totally remember ministering to the student and caring for this student and really loved this guy. Um, but it's just one of those reminders of like all of these kids that I don't, I don't think about day to day anymore because it's been a few years. Those seeds are still growing. That fruit is still developing. And it's so easy to get to a place where because you don't see the results happening right in front of you, you start to believe that there are no results. Hmm. And that's just flat out not true. Hmm. There's so much more result and goodness that comes out of your ministry than you are ever going to get to see. And you need to know that going into it because that's going to be the thing that helps you fight through the discouraging days. That's really good. Yeah. And I feel like, at least for my personality and the way that I'm wired, um, affirmation is really important to me. It's kind of the fuel that keeps me going is when I know that I'm doing a good job. Like when I know Mm -hmm. that I'm making an impact for me, the highest thing is like impacting people. And if I'm just pouring out constantly and I, I don't feel like it's actually doing an effect, that can be hard. Maybe you're listening to this and that's the season you're in. It's just you're pouring out. You don't feel like you're getting anything. I, I feel like, man, get your affirmation from the Lord. Know that he believes in you. Know that he's proud of you. Know that he cares about you. And very, very rarely God will give me like a little window where a, a student will text me or message me and just be like, man, when you were my youth pastor, that was some of the most influential times in my life. But there's other kids where it's like, (laughs) they're going to go on and do great things for the Lord. And because they were so young and their memories, you know, aren't all there. It's like, there's seeds that you planted that are going to turn into fruit, but you're never going to get acknowledged for it because they don't even remember the impact that you had on them. Mm -hmm. Like it's subconscious. Like I barely remember middle school myself. And I feel like, um, when I look back and really think about it, I was like, man, like the guy's like, Evan Wickham and Brian Barrett and just all these guys who were there for me when, when I was a kid, Jason Yetz, um, the impact they had, they probably don't even realize the seeds that they planted, what it turned into. They probably don't even think about it, but does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You, you're, you're not going to see it until heaven a lot of times. And so you just need to trust that like, you got to be just faithful to plant those seeds and trust that God's going to grow them. Yeah. If all you're relying on to determine the results of your ministry is what the students are going to tell you about it. They're, they're just not going to tell you everything. I know that when I was in youth group, I wouldn't really go to my youth pastor a ton unless it was with a question or just to hang out. Yeah. But it was very rarely like, Hey, just want you to know that message was great. Yeah. Like, there are still messages I remember from youth group, not a ton of them, but there's still a few where it's like, I remember that teaching and I remember what that meant to me. Right. Yeah. But I don't, (laughs) I don't remember going up to them afterwards and saying, Hey, that was really good. Yeah. Cause sometimes I didn't even realize it in the moment. Like, remember you're dealing with kids that take a long time to process stuff Yeah, and to figure out what they think about stuff. 
So don't get discouraged. There's going to be way more result than you think there's going to be. Yeah, they're on a journey. Like when I think of where I was at 17, like for so many kids, like 17, 18, like that's like the the end of the journey in their minds. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you start as a kid and then you grow and then you get to 18 and then you're an adult. And it's like when I was an 18 year old, where I was spiritually is miles away from where I am now. And it was so different. And I thought I had arrived when I was 18, but now I just realized like there's so much I've yet to learn and grow in. And so mm-hmm. like you're planting the youth ministry, I think is one of the most important ministries in the entire church because you're literally laying the spiritual foundation for these kids. Like the way that they sit and receive the sermons on Sunday as adults, your ministry is going to impact the way that they sit and listen, like the Mm -hmm. way that they form the paradigms in their mind for what Christianity even is. So it is so important but yeah, you're not going to see that fruit a lot of times until much later or not at all until heaven. And we have to be okay with that. We have to just trust that like God is the one who grows the seeds. We're just the planters. It's not up to us. Like we don't have to force that seed to grow. We have to just trust that God is going to grow it because he's the one who's able to do it. Absolutely. Well, that concludes our five things that we would tell ourselves if we, if we did go back in time and and tell ourselves those things, do you feel like we'd have an unfair advantage? Do you feel like everyone is just supposed to learn these things on their own? Are we giving people listening to this podcast an unfair advantage? I hope so. (laughs) I I hope that we're giving them a huge leg up compared to what we had. Yeah. I think some of these things, the reason I think some of these things really resonate with us is because of the time it took to learn them. Yeah. And some of these things you're going to listen to and you're going to say, oh, yeah, that's totally true. But then a week from now, you're going to feel your heart (laughs) slipping away from those things. So just keep reminding yourself of this stuff. It'll go a long way. Amen. Don't give up, you guys. You're killing it. You're doing great. Whether your group has two people in it or 200,000 million. If you have that many, you should probably stop being a youth pastor and maybe get into government. You should start, you should definitely start small groups if your group is that big. Yeah. Several thousand small groups. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our first part of this two-part conversation about youth ministry. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it blessed you. This was our episode about the five things we would tell ourselves when we were younger youth pastors. Next episode is going to be Q&A. We had several questions sent in by fellow youth pastors who are just getting started. And so if you're starting out in youth ministry, or maybe even if you've been doing youth ministry for a long time, and you just want to hear from some people that have some perspectives and some experience, well, that's what next episode is all about. So tune into that. Thanks for listening to Good Lion. If you want to find out more about what we do, visit our website, goodlion.io. We're a nonprofit ministry. We produce podcasts and resources and articles for free. Check us out. If you want to support what we're doing, go to goodlion.io slash support. Thanks a lot, guys. We love you. And we hope that this is a blessing to you in your ministry. See you later.